1: Okay, that's a wrap. That was great. Leo, you really nailed it. Bear, you were great too. Excuse me. What, what is it, Bear?
2: I was wondering if I could try it a little differently.
1: Really? Because that was great. You totally mauled him. And the crew is cold and tired. They want to go back to the motor lodge.
2: It's just that, as an actor, I'm always trying to get at the thing that's underneath the thing that'll illuminate a moment. I, I think... I think I see a different way in.
1: Well, actor? I mean... You're a bear. You're a dangerous and a wild animal.
2: I'm also an artist who is serious about craft. I remember something James Lipton said to me. He said... Uh, We
1: don't have time for that. What is it you want to try?
2: Okay, after I claw and bite Leo, I run over to the lake and I see my own reflection and I'm like, What have you become? I don't even know you.
1: Okay, let's try it. I can't guarantee we'll keep it.
2: That's all I ask. Just let me warm up. Ba-ba-ba-ba, red leather, yellow leather, red leather... Red leather, yellow leather. She stood upon the balcony, mimicking him hiccuping. Roar!
1: I hate to interrupt, but you don't need to do that. What do you mean? Oh, I guess nobody told you. But we're re-dubbing all your vocal parts? Meryl Streep is going to do all the bear noises. What? I don't believe this. It's just that she's so good with accents. She's worked up an amazing bear accent.
2: I'm a bear! How can Meryl Streep pretending to be a bear be better than a bear?! You betrayed me!
1: Wait, I really like what you're giving me right now. Let's try the scene again, and this time, make it sexual.
2: You mean both bitey and humpy? Yes. Quiet on the set! Wait, wait, wait. Leo's not moving. I think he might be dead. Well, we're sorting this out. Listen to the nose. And now, in the uncredited role of Frostbite Pete... Colin McEnroe.
3: I feel like there ought to be a role called Frostbite Pete in The Revenant. Uh, And uh, if so, I would like to play that role. Uh, And the good thing is I would have to learn my lines because there wouldn't be any. Uh, In fact, we're going to be talking about The Revenant here in the first segment. And we thought about pulling a clip and I was looking and I thought, well, there's really no, there's so little dialogue in The Revenant. It's very hard to do an audio clip. Uh, for the radio. Let me tell you who's here. First of all, Rand Richards Cooper is here. He is an author, a critic, uh, and a, now a blogger for Commonweal. Jacques Lamar, playwright and uh, lord of all that he surveys at the Mark Twain House. Uh, Tanisha Dugan uh, does very special things for theater works in Hartford. So um, we're going to talk about, talk about The Revenant in the first segment here. In the second segment, we will We have to sort of try to say something anyway about the Kerouacian uh, endorsement speech given by uh, Sarah Palin on behalf of Donald Trump this week. And then we'll be talking about kind of a failure in the toy department where Star Wars uh, seems to – the merchandising of Star Wars seems to have neglected in some sectors uh, to produce interesting toys involving the character Rey who's the primary – female character. This is not an isolated incident. It happens all the time. Anyway, uh, that is all to come. But we have to begin with The Revenant. Uh, The Revenant is set in 1823. Uh, It features the story of Hugh Glass, who is is played by uh, Leo DiCaprio. Hugh Glass signed on with the Rocky Mountain Fur Company for an expedition on the upper Missouri River, it almost did him in. Uh, they were attacked by uh, First Nation people. Uh, they, and he was attacked by a bear. And a lot of the other stuff in the movie is fictionalized. But the, the fundamental story of Hugh Glass uh, is a real one. And it is a very cold movie to watch. They should have released it in the summer. It would have been really great. Uh, but uh, it's directed by Mexican-born filmmaker Alejandro Iñárritu, I think you say, uh, who won uh, Oscars for his work on Birdman, including the Best Picture Award. So... Um, So many things to say about this. It really is kind of leading the Oscar parade right now uh, and it's doing extraordinarily well at the box office considering that it's a movie that, yes, does not have a lot of spoken words and is probably, you know, until it's a little on the arty side. I think it could be argued. So let's talk about, first of all, some general reaction. Is there more going on in this movie than just a standard revenge narrative? And if so, what is the more? Uh, Rand, I'll let you kick that one off
0: since you're a movie critic.
4: One of the mores um, certainly would require a little bit of amplification of the notion that this is an arty movie. Um, it, it, it's also an extraordinarily brutal and violent movie. So if you imagine arty movies to be something that are, that are sort of precious and effete and, and sensitive and delicate, this is not your movie. Um, my wife, who can't stand violence and brutality on film, if you could design a film to scare her away within seven minutes of the film's opening, this would be it. It's a it's a film about the 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 kinds the forms of violence that men on the frontier are forced to resort to against each other, against animals. It's a sort of farrago of flaying and slicing and gutting out animals so that you can inhabit. You gut out a horse so you can crawl inside the, the steaming cadaver of the horse to survive a brutal night. So among other things, it's, it's, it is a tenacious Chronicle of Survival, and you can think of it in terms of the great survival films you've seen. So that that's one thing. The other thing I would say is that it's if it doesn't win the uh, Oscar for Best Cinematography, then you know that would be a big surprise. This is a beautiful film. It's it's a visually sublime film. Really, nature is the leading character, Um, and I I found it overwhelmingly beautiful. Have a lot of complaints about it, but let me just say right away, it is. Really a beautiful film to watch.
3: It's actually shot by Emmanuel Lubezki. Lubezki, yeah. Lubezki, who did You Mama Tambien, The New World, Children of Men, Tree of Life, Gravity, and is involved in at least two more. Terrence Malick films to come. So yes, it's a very beautiful movie. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have uh, Jacques go last because I basically lied to Jacques about what the movie was about <laughs> you know, just to get to get him even to go see this movie. He
5: told me Barbara Streisand was in. Yeah, I, I had to
3: I had to tell some lies. Sometimes you just have to do that, uh, and it's important to do. So uh, Tanisha, Jacques did, looks like a trapper. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Uh, so Tanisha, did you see stuff lying under? I mean, this is we we can say this is some uh, begins with some very bad things happening to Hugh Glass. I guess we will. Spoil it any more than necessary, and then ask the question: Is he going to be able to do anything about it? Um, And the boy, that is totally understating
5: everything that happens. (laughs) But is there more there for you? Two and a half hours, exactly. Um,
0: You know, I was saying to Jacques earlier. I uh, actually tried to get through it twice. Um, I think it is absolutely a testosterone filled filled film. Um, It is painterly. Uh, There's no doubt that it's beautiful. It actually resembles the colors in your outfit today in a lot of ways. It's very blue and uh, it's got... I'm wearing a a
3: bearskin today. (laughs) He's (laughs) also wearing
0: a bearskin and there's a lot of that in this Mm. movie as well. Um, But it was just a difficult one for me to get through and typically I... So when you say you tried to get through it
3: twice, do you mean you went once and didn't make it all the way through and then came back?
0: And then saw it again.
3: That is like Hugh Glass like tenacity.
0: I well, you know, I figured, you know, when you talked about it, I had already attempted to see it once, and I was like, well, since that was a failed attempt, I should try it again. And it just, I maybe it was because there was very little talking, and I'm a talking kind of gal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think after a while, seeing the beautiful pictures of the landscapes just wasn't enough for me to get it. There's no girls in it. There's no. <laughs> I I'm, sort of was like. Eh. <laughs> I don't see myself. There's no girls I don't who, myself, no girls who are not, who are not being
3: ruthlessly exploited by the white man. Exactly, yeah. and
0: so I nodded a right. few times.
3: So <laughs> did you? Did you actually walk out the first time? And if so, like how long did you? Last? I
0: did not walk out. You just
3: dozed off. I just
0: dozed off. You're a
3: mom. It's a but, mom thing.
0: But my partner, who is a dad, and equally <laughs> as you know present in my son's life. He loved it, and he loved it the second time, too. I think his experience was similar to Rand's.
4: Well, I did not love it, but I just haven't detailed my complaints about yeah. it. <laughs> <his> complaints, so. <laughs> you just wanted to crawl into a warm horse and go to <laughs> <laughs> sleep. Fully clothed. I never quite understood that part. It's
0: freezing outside. and you got Who un- wants to get blood under- all over their clothes?
5: <laughs> right.
3: So he does. Uh, that's not a spoiler to tell you that at one point uh, Leo finds it necessary to— into a dead horse Um, Han Solo style yeah was it Han or Luke well Han cuts the tauntaun
5: open
4: spoiler alert if you haven't seen Empire Strikes Back Uh, and Leo (laughs) first has to gut the horse himself which we are shown in in truly medical detail oh absolutely yeah Uh, yeah, you can't just go
3: inside
5: the horse
4: you gotta get stuff out of the horse first before you go inside the horse
3: so Jacques it's your turn
5: I was trying to decide if I wanted to uh, answer all this in uh, the style of the dialogue of the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's, a of I mean, it's, that's a lot of it. Thank you. I mean, that's a lot of it. I mean, I liked the film well enough. I thought um, uh, Tom Hardy, I thought, oh. was the best part of the film, along with the... Um, with the cinematography, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that Leonardo DiCaprio puts on a, a good performance, but I wouldn't say it's a best actor performance. Best actor agreed. in a crawling role In a yeah. crawling role, yeah, crawling. It had the most crawling I've ever seen <laughs> in a
4: film because he's always wounded, and 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 also the whole thing takes place in winter, mm-hmm. so it's it, you, you you sit there feeling this vicarious. But no one gets frostbite. Did you I notice know, that? Right? I know. But there's always
0: icicles hanging from beards, yeah. so there's it's icy. Frostbite has not
3: been invented yet. It's the only frostbite turns out to be a social construction of. <laughs> The, you know the twentieth century.
5: Yeah I was sitting there going like why does no one have like black digits, you know? It, and so it it was um uh my husband really liked it. I, you know, I thought it was good. I I wouldn't you know it it actually reminded me a lot of um of Gladiator mm. um with him kind of flashing back to his wife mm-hmm. and you know the atrocities that happens to his child and all this other stuff and he goes on and this giant kind of revenge journey. So I thought it was basically the same plot as Gladiator,
4: but a lot colder. You know, I I want to pick up on something Tanisha said about talk or the lack of it in the film. There's a sublime, visually sublime quality to the film that almost requires that there be little talk in order to sort of create and empower that effect of nature's overwhelming sublime. But I felt in this film, as you often do in a film, that there was a different kind of film Potentially contained within it, that you wished had been let out, and to me tom hardy 's excellent performance as the villain is the key to what that other ghost film would be there 's one scene where he, around the campfire where he 's eating and he 's telling a story to one of Tom Hardy, the villainous character, to this younger guy and it seems to start out to be a story that that is, uh, is maybe going to have a sort of uh, religious payoff point, a virtuous one. And and Hardy's eating food. You know, they're, they're, It's the one time in the movie that food is not eaten raw, bloody raw. They actually he cooked it. He's telling the story. And then suddenly he gets to this payoff line and it's – I forget exactly what it is, but it's like devastatingly cynical. And there's more talk in that scene and there's more revelation of character in that one little exchange than really in the rest of the film. And I kept thinking, all right, if this could be a film about Frontier's people – and the, the strategies and the, and the selves that they had to develop and deploy in order to survive and prevail. And that would involve a lot more interaction exactly. among them. Yeah. Mm. Um, then that, that would be a movie I really would love to see. But it would be a much more written film and a much more character-driven film than, than this one is. So I, I kept sort of wishing this film was, not, was trying to do something a little different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, This was sort of even more Lonesome Dove. There's <laughs> um, a lot of loneliness in this movie. I don't care how uh, for
5: how my French-Canadian people are, were represented, too, on, on screen. <laughs> yeah, they were not great. We're um, villainous.
3: Ha, ha, ha. I, I want to talk specifically about that. But first of all, let me just say if you'd like to tweet at us, as, for example, our uh, our confrere, Jim uh, Chapdelaine, has done, uh, he, he says it's actually quite peaceful and it fits in with today's theme of rebirth. The horse seems uncomfortable, but unharmed. (laughs) Uh, So uh, anyway, you can tweet at us at WNPR, Colin. Greg Hill is waiting to receive your tweets at WNPR, Colin. You can even call in 860-275-7266. For me, first of all, I think not only are Jacques' um, French Canadians uh, unflatteringly portrayed, but in general, the white race is portrayed as an interloper rather than people who really – you know, belong there at the same. On the other hand, there's also not a sentimentalizing of First Nations people, right? The First Nations people are a little bit good, a little bit bad, a little bit obsessed. You know, they have a better chance of being, of having redemptive moments than most of the white characters in the movie. And there's also this sense that. Um, that Leo DiCaprio in many ways is the kind of person you know he, he's a multiculturalist right he's in the movie the guy it's a little bit of the Hawkeye thing but I think once again less sentimentalized than the Hawkeye thing there's this sense that he has lived with First Nation people that he's come he's married to First Nation his son is, a first, is half First Nation person and he's Much He sees the picture in a much bigger way and a a much more inclusive way. These all sound very sort of 2016 words. But, I mean, to me that's one of the intriguing parts of this. It's on the one hand a little bit uh, of a hymn to to the First Nation people who were already there, but not without suggesting that they weren't capable of their own ferocity and savagery towards one another and towards whites. Um, I don't know. Anybody want to respond? What did you hate about it so much? No, there's nothing the the that,
4: that I hated about it. Um, uh, but uh, you know, as I said, um, first of all, to me, it it started out really big, and and sort of gradually got smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. And the movies that tend to stay with me are the ones that do the opposite thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and this film is is visually very big. And I remember when I saw the trailer. A few months ago, I thought, oh, my God, this film, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more excited about this movie just based on the trailer than I have been about a lot of other movies. Um, but to me, part of the problem, part of this narrowness was that it, it ultimately became uh, a, a, a very standard revenge story um, and a, about him chasing down a man that he wants to visit very violent revenge on. He ultimately turns him over to the secular arm of the Native Americans to have it done for him. But – Oh, spoiler uh, alert. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, spoiler alert. Um, you have but, uh, no idea how much trouble you just got in. <laughs> uh, so so
3: I, I, I... He was I, speaking metaphorically, not literally. Right. Yes.
4: <laughs> so, so I didn't... I I felt like that was a very narrow story surrounded with this visually vaultingly ambitious casing.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, one thing that has intrigued
3: me, Tanisha, is that the movie's doing very well at the box office. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is... Uh, I mean, not as well as Rideshare 2, but uh, it's doing. What did you say was, Ride Along 2? Uh, ride Along 2 or
4: whatever that is. It's <laughs> <Right>. called <laughs> Rideshare 2. <laughs> rideshare, rideshare 2 is Carpool 2. Right, yeah, rideshare. <laughs> that's the, the Connecticut DOTs, but uh, Rideshare 2. So, uh, <laughs> ride Along 2. Fast so, Track.
3: Um, because <laughs> ET <CT> Fast Track, <laughs> the movie. Um, all right uh, so really it's do I think it was in second place in the box office last weekend and this I mean I don't see this as I wouldn't have guessed it was a mass audience movie I mean it's not a Terence Malik movie although it looks a lot like a Terence Malick does, movie yeah. partly because that that one particular guy shot it and also because of the kind of hush that's there most of the time you know it really is Considering how warlike it is in some ways, and as you said, testosterone-infused it is, it's also a very, very quiet movie. Mm. Um, and I just – so I don't know. I just – I wouldn't have guessed that audiences would be flocking to go see this, particularly but in January. Part of it
0: is because the buzz around Leo winning the Oscar is mm-hmm. what it is, and I think people want to see – what that performance is. More often than not, people aren't very intrigued with what's happening with the Oscars, but he mm. is one of those blockbuster stars that people love. He's kind of, you know, the Tom Hanks of a generation. And mm. he's in this film that is getting so much praise, you want to see it.
4: You yeah. want to see it. I would recommend I think the best film that this that Iarito has made is his very first one. Amoris Peros, mm. which translates roughly to "loves a bitch," which has a there's a canine joke built into that, and there it's it's a film it was about about a dozen years ago. Have you guys seen it?
5: I have not, and I think it's actually in our house.
4: There are three there. Are, it's a kind of film that weaves together three plot strands and then has some sort of overlap and a complex architecture of coincidence and fate and um and it's in some ways the antithesis of this film because it's very fast there are lots of characters and lots of talk and lots of flashy action and loud music but it also has there's underlying a certain sort of fatalistic deterministic you know mechanism whereby characters are going to be driven through their paces to their inevitable fate and that makes them very very similar films although in every other way they're, they're really very different but that is a Amaros Paros, I think, is a terrific film.
0: I remember 12 years ago all of my friends loving yeah. and being into the cult of that film. Yeah. <laughs> but also
4: very violent, too. I mean, that that's an, a hallmark of this guy's films. Mm. Except for Birdman. Except for Birdman, yeah. yeah.
3: What were you going to say before? Do you remember? Um, no, only
5: that uh, I did not realize that if you are shot by an arrow, it inevitably comes out the other side of you. Yeah. Uh, I well, was, don't count on that. Yeah. <laughs> but in the movie, everyone yes. gets <laughs> yeah. shot with an arrow. Straight it through. comes out their chest or the other side of their head or what have you. So <laughs> safety tip uh, for people who are being uh,
3: chased by um, the Pawnee.
5: Archers. Yes. <laughs> the
3: other thing that I'll quickly say about this, and then we're going to take a break and get ready for our other two topics here, is that it's. I think it is also destined to become one of those movies ab- – Whose tribulations in the making uh, mm-hmm. of the movie is, are going to be part of his legend. Right, right? like a Fitzcarraldo Fitzcar- kind Fitzcarraldo of thing. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. Yeah. Fitzcarraldo and Apocalypse Now are the ones right. I had mm-hmm. in my notes. That there's a sense in which this was a mi- hard movie to make. Mm-hmm. We know that Leo had to go through five hours of makeup every day to have all kinds of wounds put on him. That backers pulled out, I think, at one point, mm-hmm. And it just, they were shooting under adverse conditions. I think usually in British Columbia and mm-hmm. I think also in Argentina in order to make it look that wild. But I th- it was it, behind schedule and the all this budget stuff. budget balloon too, yeah. didn't it? by like $135 million. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy.
5: It's oh. funny
0: to hear actors uh, reflect on his experience, on Leo's work in this piece and start sort of saying how method it must be because
4: Inuita put
0: him through those physical paces. I'm like, oh, eh, well. I'm going to one thing. So.
4: A film like this, because it's so visually sublime, if there's anything cheesy to it, it's sort of shoved so far below the surface of this sort of vaulting visual ambition. But I would prefer... That Liam Neeson film with the the wolves. What was that film called? It was called The Grey. The Grey, did, you, did no. you guys see that? Uh, it, again, like, sir, I forget what leads Liam Neeson to end up in the woods, where it's going to be him or this pack of wolves that survives. Um, and uh, I won't, I won't give away, Liam you know, who survives. But, but,
3: but there <laughs> was... Um, Although you'll never look at those little bottles you get on airline uh, liquor carts
4: the same way again. Right, yeah. r- exactly. So, I mean, if you're going to go for... Don't, that's mm, not a good movie. Uh, it's not, a, I anybody. know it's not a good movie, but I, I, I wanted this it's to terrible. be, like, not so good a movie. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, so you wish it didn't have vaulting visual ambition. Yeah, but ambition. really, I'd
4: rather go for the slightly cheesy one of Liam Neeson facing off against a f- against a wolf at the <laughs> the last scene of the film. But did you know and, and that, and that, that, that you could, like, repair— pole. I'm going to kill you now. Yeah. Did you know that I you could repair skills. a
3: stoma with gunpowder?
4: I mean, that was something <laughs> yeah. I
5: took away from Revenant.
3: There's th- things you can learn. Uh, and to Rand's point, Jim Condren tweets, and this scene point was made by my significant other who hated this, hated uh, the Revenant. Uh, oh, my kind Rob, of girl. Robert Redford's, <laughs> Jeremiah, Robert Redford's Jeremiah Johnson is a kinder, kinder gentler revenant. Uh, and there's at least one other person in the world, Jim Conrad, who feels the same way. Uh, by the way, I really love this movie. I would have no trouble giving it best <laughs> picture. None, none whatsoever. Um, I mean, my favorite movie of the year was Creed, but this is like my second oh. favorite movie of the year. Um, and I love Creed. Um, Oh, that's
0: anyway. like a whole Oscar conversation a whole that episode. missing. I mean, to me, I'll just quickly bobs. say,
3: what I look for this year, anyway, I mean, I think my standards change from year to year. Uh, this year, I'm sort of saying, what what can a movie do? You know, what can a movie, what can this forum do, you know, and then do it? And that's why, although I think Spotlight's an important movie, a well-acted movie, a well-thought-out movie, I don't really think they, you know, I mean, that could have been a three-part TV series just fine, and it would have been the same, whereas creed and this movie and you know even to a certain extent the big short yeah. which plays around right. with form a little bit at least they're doing something you know it's so
0: interesting hear you say that after you commenting on how the, sort of the the first nations people are represented in the way they are mm. in this film and in a lot of ways it sort of restates the same tropes we've always known mm. and so i'm curious to know what you think revenant is doing or what it does. Well, that's
3: a fair thing. I mean, I I think what it does is, and and certainly Leo's character, Hugh Green, is kind of... He is a little bit out of James Fenimore Cooper, right? I mean, that's it's, it's the same kind of thing. The guy who's gone native a little yeah. bit and feels more comfortable with with First Nations customs than and, and ideas that he does with those of his own people. So, so that's a little bit old. But I thought he, just in terms of the way that first of all, the, the, some of the First Nations people were were. Sympathetically portrayed and sentimentally portrayed, there is one guy who helps Leo. And now that I'm saying all this, I'm thinking, you're right, that every single one of these things is a well-worn <laughs> trope. Maybe just I, the way I saw them fit all together on the screen felt somehow or other new. Yeah, but, yes, yeah, right, some of them are fairly right. horrible and – I don't know. There's one guy who's just, just like, obsessed with one thing. I guess that's it, it's all. <laughs> I think, all I think we
5: could have combined this with A Walk in the Woods, and it was like <laughs> Nick Nolte and Robert Redford trying to exact revenge on one another. I would have liked it better.
3: All right. And Bucket List, too. All right. That's we have to uh, take a break here. We'll come back <laughs> with more. The proverbial more. cat All right, we are indeed back. So um last night well it's been sort of an interesting week uh for uh, going out and talking about politics. Uh, mm-hmm. Last night, I was with Steve Kornacki uh, from MSNBC, and I was, we were talking about the fact that this really is a kind of a campaign that just keeps on giving, uh, provided, <laughs> provided you have an appetite for kitsch and things like that. So that, I mean, in this week alone, first of all, I mean, I keep imagining Hillary Clinton kind of pacing back and forth, thinking, well, what else could possibly go wrong? You know, like there's already a whole movie out about Benghazi and stuff like that. And then we find out that there was a documentary film crew embedded with the Wieners at the time of the whole Carlos Danger incident. And it has all kinds of footage of Uma Abedin, uh, her um, primary aide, trying to cope with her husband's sexting. <laughs> I didn't put that on the list of things to talk about today, uh, but instead, uh, the other thing that happened this week, and it happened on Tuesday night when we were down doing the Wheelhouse Uncensored. Um... We were sort of getting ready to do this thing, and Tucker Ives kept saying, you know, um, I think Palin's endorsing Trump right now. (laughs) And so we didn't really get to see it happen live, but it's, uh, of course, this very amazing thing. And we're going to steal kind of a supercut of the Palin speech uh, from Stephen Colbert. Uh, So (laughs) if you hear people laughing in the background, that's the Colbert audience. And these are just kind of uh, clips from this uh, amazing speech uh, all just kind of stitched together.
6: (laughs) And then they tell us, just chill. Okay, just, yeah, just relax. They've been wearing this um, political correctness, kind of like a suicide vest. We kowtow, and we apologize, and then we bend over and say, thank you, enemy. You ready for a commander-in-chief who will let our warriors do their job and go, kick ISIS ass? And then, funny, (laughs) uh ha-ha, not funny. But now what they're doing is wailing, well, Trump. And his uh, uh, his trumpeters. Well, they're not conservative enough. He doesn't get his power, his high, off of opium, other people's money. He builds big things, things that touch the sky. Right wing and bitter, clinging, proud clingers of our guns, our God, our, and our religions and our. Constitution, no more pussy around. Can I get a
3: hallelujah? All right. Wait, so what was that? <laughs> that was kind of a super. Uh, that, that was a Steve, mashup. Stephen Colbert doing kind of a supercut of yeah, okay, uh, a mashup of, of various high points, uh, I guess. But she, all of those phrases
4: were uttered
0: by oh, her. Oh yes, yes. That was all during that. Yes, speech, yes, during yeah. an endorsement. Yeah, and that's
5: uh, not even like the uh, second crazy speech that she gives during the week too,
3: which is also nutsy and well and also we we do her a disservice in just playing the audio version of it because the gestures uh the the faces and grimaces that are pulled uh, and uh and of course the the sweater itself the sweater which is like visible from the space shuttle this, That was an amazing top. Yeah. I have to How, get how would you
5: describe the top? She's lost it the was Cole like Wallace. it was almost like bu- silver bugle beads or something. It was
3: <laughs> I'd wear it. <laughs> yeah, the top was it, well, anyway, um, it was distracting. Yeah. Though. So, but Tanisha, <laughs> there's sort of a fine line own. between stupid and brilliant. You know, they're like they're, There's all these Whitman-esque touches and these Allen Ginsberg <laughs> kinds of. I'm thinking, you know, if you tried to write something like this to get that effect, as opposed to just sort of stumbling through it the way she does, it'd be
0: really hard to do. Well, clearly. Rhyming in hip hop is not her Mm -hmm. particular (laughs) brand, and I do find it fascinating that so much of that speech was in rhyming couplets. I thought, well, this is very odd. Why? Why here now? (laughs) Are you talking in this way? But she is um, stupid. I don't know if brilliant is. uh,
3: She's straight out of Wasilla.
0: She's straight out of Wasilla, (laughs) no (laughs) doubt.
3: And and there's, there are so many ways in which to kind of go at this. And by the way, we welcome your tre- tweets at WNPR, Colin, including – I mean you do sort of wonder. This is – it's a very, very crazy speak, speech, Jacques, and um, and you sort of wonder whom it would reach, like who its audience would be. And, and it, I mean all it needs to do is influence like 400 votes here and 500 votes there mm-hmm. in places like Iowa. Uh, and and it'll be a very useful speech to Donald Trump. Although I don't know if 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 I, if I was the only one, but I kept watching Trump's face, <laughs> you know, and he go, he goes through this whole series of facial expressions, and you wonder how much of the comedy he's getting. Yeah, actually, Rand is doing a few of them.
5: Uh, <laughs> I was I was sitting there watching Trump after a bit thinking like what could possibly be going through his mind right, exactly. Like, is this the worst thing that could happen to me or is this amazing right. and the thing is I mean uh, you know it's hard to assess how smart he is but uh, you know he's sitting there probably thought oh this is going to be amazing for my campaign which is already doing you know uh, mind-bogglingly well and then she just lets loose for 20 minutes and it's Just this fright show, and but you know my question is, I guess, how many of the people who are supporters of hers wouldn't already be supporting him? Mm -hmm. They seem like they're cut from the same cloth. Mm -hmm. So we had um at the at the Mark Twain House last night David Silverman, who's the president of American Atheists, and he's you know he was making a point. He's like, you know, the the evangelicals have been uh um. Very quiet during this campaign, like they haven't really come out you know for you know behind candidates that you think they'd gravitate towards, like a Ted Cruz or a Rick Santorum uh, you know people who are very you know uh, proud about their faith, and there's a lot of support in the community for Trump who you know can't even name a Bible verse, so David Silverman was you know saying that this was the kind of thing you know sarah Palin's appearance is the kind of thing that could help shore up support among the evangelical community for, w, for, uh,
4: for Trump.
3: Uh, Rand? Well,
4: <laughs> it, it's, it's such a multifaceted phenomenon that it's hard to know uh, what to address. Go. But mm-hmm. I, I guess I'd, I'd say this. Here's one context to think about it in. And, and it's the context of um, Republican populism or, or what is now passing for some kind of brand of populist energy that is funneled into the traditional machine of republican politics and that's a weird – that's not a good fit. Um, but what's happening in the republican party as David Frum and that great Atlantic article I think that you've discussed mm-hmm. talked about and what's tearing the republican party apart is that as an essentially populist energy is trying to be accommodated within The Republican Party. Now, how is that supposed to happen? Now, because that has traditionally not been able to happen by being addressed toward the masters of Wall Street and finance, for instance, or corporate America, it has to find some other way to go. Going back to Nixon, it goes, it is directed toward liberal elites. And it is also directed stylistically toward the way that liberal elites sound, think, talk, and the way that they pronounce judgment. So there's a way in which Trump and now Palin are perfectly inoculated against any kind of criticism that they're stupid or that they sound stupid because right. every time liberal elites and intellectuals make those criticisms, they are in fact only reaffirming the the, the sort of political uh, structure in which these people have arisen and thus the seemingly paradoxical dynamic of their unsinkability at least – through any sort of gaffes that anyone in a forum like this might ever call attention to. It makes them stronger. Um, and, and you know, so in that sense, it, it, among others, it's not surprising that Palin was... She's a perfect fit because she brings that uh, that but paradoxical strength. She's, she's also still have sort of... The, sorry.
0: No, I was just, she's also sort of moved away from pointing the finger solely at liberal elites. I mean, in this endorsement speech, she was really pointing Both to sides any of the aisle. intellectual <laughs> who will right. come at... What she's saying, what Trump believes in, right. and really setting up this us against them. If you, you know, think that my, my daughter, who is an you know, a, uh, abstinence-based uh, thought leader, is wrong, you are one of them. You don't support real America, the hardworking you know, folks who have built that big building that Trump has built his, his success on. You, too, can be a part of it. She is really distancing herself from any kind of intellectual... And that yeah. battle
3: is happening right now. The national we, we may Absolutely. talk about this on Monday. The National Review has basically now dedicated itself to trying to pull down Trump. Right. Uh, right. the national Review, an unlikely source of criticism. You sent
4: along <laughs> exactly. and, and right. What was the opening line of that column? That great piece you sent around. Oh. The
0: moth. It's like like a moth to yeah.
4: a yeah. To like a moth to a flame. Yeah. Right. Any <laughs> any flame that's left. Untended will inevitably draw curious moths mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and that 's Trump and Palin, that was a brilliant piece of writing. well,
3: Jacques there's another part of this, and I go to you as, as something of a, an expert in the genre, another part of Palin, which is that and this seems to be inevitable that any time she's making th- this kind of public theater happen in this scripted and planned way or at least quasi scripted uh, and planned way there's this reality show happening in the background. I mean this seems to happen every single time, so almost cotermen, with this speech that she's giving for Donald Trump is kind of a 24-hour story arc that started a little bit the day before, involving her son, track, uh, and uh, a gun, and uh, punching uh, a woman in the head, and kicking her in the knee, and arrests, and and it almost seems as though this family is built for the age that we live in, where you you have to be Kardashians, you have to have Absolutely. multiple plot lines, but you know. The Kardashians
5: aren't even a freak show on a level. <laughs> that these, But according that the to Cosmo, are. they are
0: a first yeah. family.
5: Yeah. Uh, you know, no, no, but I mean, I'm sorry. But the Palins, I mean, it's just like, uh, you know, and then for her to go on stage and blame her son's behavior on PTSD caused by Barack Obama is like such an incredible logic leap that it defies, you know, uh it defies everything, you know, good taste, logic, uh, and and uh, and vets are like coming back at her about this, um, and you know, and, and I, you know, one of the things I that I wonder is how much support does she really have at this point, or is it just that the cameras will show up for the freak show? Uh, you know, it, it, you know, she didn't tip the scales in McCain's favor. In fact, she probably went. You know, it probably went the opposite direction. Um, You know, she's lost her contract with Fox. She doesn't have a reality show anymore. So, you know... Well, I think the answer
3: will be, is she anywhere to be seen during the general election, no matter who the nominee is? I mean, I think right now they're playing small ball. And some of these primary contests are really won by small handfuls of votes. So if she supercharges, you know, once again, 400, 500 people, that really could be quite meaningful with a multi-candidate field and then small states to play in. With two candidates in the entire nation, it gets
4: very different.
0: I also think you can't underestimate the fact that her family is a disaster and that field familiar to so many people Absolutely I, <laughs> Do you know, think, know what I mean
4: Tanisha that's a, I, you yeah. know I was thinking how am I going to make this point you 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 made it um, what are the problems that a, that a family like uh, like the Obama family has? Well, what which, what college is my daughter going to? Get which Ivy League college will my daughter get accepted into? There's a familiar set of problems that the professional class, the upper middle class has, and then there's the Palins, and 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 the sector <laughs> of the population that that they're appealing to. Hey, it's like there's a lot of there's a lot of really ragged stuff that goes on in our families, and you know what? She's, she's one of us.
5: But but the thing is, she's always staking out the moral high ground. And then, you know, her family's undercutting her right. at the same time. But and I f- so,
0: yeah, I agree. I, yes, absolutely. But that hypocrisy is, that is so American. One? It's just <laughs> such an, you know, like right. that you strive to be. Baby
5: having, I'm trying to think of like what's a good, with the, <laughs> the what was that rhyme that she had going there? I, I came up with an earlier version pertaining the, the, to Barbara Streisand. That the right terrific. wing in that one? Yeah, the right right-wing. Oh,
0: trail, baby trail. Yeah.
4: <laughs> the other thing I would say about Palin and Trump and the way that, that they talk, I mean, I think most of us, what you want in a candidate is really two things. One, a person who agrees with and represents represents my values, and two, a person who is – as capable as possible, and a person who's smarter than I am. I mean, I don't want someone like me to be president. I want someone who is like five times smarter than I am. But, but I think at this point – Not parti- possible. The, yeah, right. The, the particular person type, doesn't walk the earth. The particular – oh, Jacques, you're, <laughs> um, I don't know if I can continue. Um, the, the, you know, the, the person who's voting for Palin and, and, and Trump I think is sufficiently disenchanted to think, what, have, what has any politician who sounds really smart gotten for me? done for me. And I no longer trust that. That seems technocratic. Mm-hmm. And under the face of a sort of technocratic glibness, all sorts of exploitations of me and people like me are happening. So I'm done with that.
3: All right. We're going to have to quickly jump topics if we want to get this in here. We don't have a whole lot of time to talk about this. But And we've played this song before. We've talked about this in the past. But with the new Star Wars uh, movie out, uh, there are toys. There are things to be marketed. And many of those things, many of the things made by the Hasbro company in particular, do not seem to represent very well. Ray, the character played by uh, Daisy Ripley, uh, and who's really one of the protagonists of this. Uh, And it's started a hashtag, uh, hashtag Where's Ray, Uh, on Twitter. It's uh, started a lot of different debates. Our own We think of her as our own. (laughs) Julia Pastel actually uh, uh, played a part uh, in a conversation that was had up at Lego, uh, in which she sort of pointed that out, and the Lego executives sort of seemed to be thinking, "Oh, we better do a pretty good job of making sure Rey is prominently featured in our Star Wars sets." But this had happened before with Princess Leia, who's also underrepresented in Star Wars toys, and the Black Widow in the Avengers series, where some that were infamously they made the Black Widow's motorcycle, but not the Black. Widow, mistakenly thinking the preview and boys don't want to play with Scarlett Johansson. I don't really get that, but anyway.
4: Uh, <laughs> oh, man, you've just opened up a
3: whole another dimension. True, huh? true, 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 uh, But, well, actually, Randall, I'll let you start, because you are the father of a daughter. So, does this bother you?
4: Um, yeah, well, it, it interests me. I guess it bothers me. Uh, one thing, that if you monitor your child's development through the early years closely, you know, you're interested in paying attention to the whole sort of nature versus nurture thing, and you see the ways in which, even if you're trying not to, uh, other uh, other actors in the culture push your child in a certain direction and and not in another direction at age 9 which my daughter is it's the moment where like now the girls are really playing with girls and the boys are playing with boys and she's always been interested in playing boys and with boys and she's a tomboy and and you know one doesn't like to see that sort of rectified or curbed or redirected now the, the the people who who cross market and create products from movies, especially movies that are massively popular in our culture, are creating for young they're they're like wielding the building blocks in part that that found a, that create the way our kids experience themselves and each other in the world. And uh, and what they'll tell you, the marketers, is like there's no market for that. Well, a lot of times they think they're just being descriptive of a reality that ex- actually exists, but they're actually being pre- prescriptive in a way. And by putting this out there and not that, they are limiting the options that little kids who are still learning how the world works are going to have in the way that world is put together. So to me, I was skeptical of this story at first, but I think it's, I think it's worth paying attention to from that particular point of view of a child's development.
3: Well, it's also interesting there are all, all these constituencies about this now too. I mean, one of the articles that we read quoted uh, this guy John Marcotte, who's a, who's got an activist group, and then there's another group called the Legions of Leia who are concerned about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are you laughing at over there? We need to get a hobby.
4: It I'm is amazing sad. that these groups like a
5: useful one. I, it's funny. I I I talked to a coworker of mine. Um, who was actually involved in the some of the product design and launch for Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said they had put together a big push for Queen Amidala stuff for girls and that it turned out to be a big dog in mm-hmm. terms of a seller. And so, you know, if you look at that, then you say the next thing that comes along, you know, uh, whether it's reissue of old Star Wars figures or what have you, are you know are these action figures actually going to be purchased if they're on the market or are they going to end up you know,
3: sitting
0: on there the as, on
5: the right. clearance rack? So, Tanisha, you get yeah. the
3: last word on this. Is that, is that it? We get the toys we deserve.
0: We get the toys that we want and that we actually buy. I think that's the moral of the story. I worked for a toy company for a long time, and they are data-driven folks, and mm-hmm. if the – if it's there, if the market is actually truly there or shown some uh, interest before, they're not taking risks on that dollar. So right. they
3: would sell you a Gloria, Gloria Steinem action figure exactly. if Gloria Steinem action figures sold. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, we have to stop there, so we'll have time for some recommendations when we come back after this.
6: Smiling girls and rosy boys Come and buy my little toys Monk is made of gingerbread And sugar horses painted red
2: Heads are spinning all you lamestream public radio listeners with your Steve keep Banana Keepers and your Renee Montaigne Tupperware Bible Haters because today's credits are being broadcast in Palinese. Those producers and seducers and produce managers and nurse Betsy's and bionic wolves aren't wearing their suicide vests just because the weak-kneed cream puff host isn't in it to win it. And now how about that Greg Hill making babies and writing poems and tweeting, hey, get a real job, not bend over and say thank you, information technology. You interns, you're not real doctors, so don't try a pelvic on me, Stephanie Reef and Ross Levin. And Bill Curry, he's going rogue right and left, and the main thing is, he doesn't know what the main thing is, but the main thing is some kind of website on wnpr.org slash Colin. On Monday, my guess is some slurping off the gravy train with a hamburger helper, you betcha. And now, huh, back to Colin. <laughs> That's great.
3: All right, that was excellent. Um, it's time to do some recommendations. And so, uh, Rand, why don't you
4: go first? Because okay. you've got I'm two. A, I'm a dinner and a movie guy, so let's do that. For uh, dinner, there's a newish restaurant in Granby called The Barn. The owner, uh, James Chen, owns uh, three Asian-themed restaurants in Granby and Simsbury. This is a new place. It's in a... A converted carriage house. Uh, He has the chef Dan Fortin, who is the chef at Infinity in Norfolk and uh, and in Hartford. Um, Sort of steak and seafood and a few other things, but it's it's a it's a lovely place. Food is terrific. The Barn in Granby. Um, If you're trying to play catch up with the Oscar films, that is not ketchup and mustard, but to catch up, um, I would recommend seeing Room. I would warn away people who do not like intense films about trauma and recovery, but if your interest is in how people, including children, get past traumatic events in their lives and live again, it's a terrific film to see. Do not read any review of it before you see it because it's a a very interesting and unusual plot that does not announce itself originally, but all reviews necessarily spoil uh, the, 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 the plot. So don't read a review. Just... Take my uh, review of it and it's worth seeing. And
3: and, uh, just to to put a little um, exclamation and point on this, you might consider – Because your only option right now is going to Bowtie on New Park Avenue and seeing it with their crummy projection equipment, unless you live somewhere else other than the greater Harvard area. If you live in New Haven, maybe it's different. Uh, James uh, Hanley will have it at Cine Studio. At least it's on the calendar right now for the end of the month, the last weekend in January. Uh, And you can see it on good projection equipment unless they steal it from him, which happens sometimes. Tanisha, what have you got?
0: Tinmo Astro the projector series at Real Artways runs next week uh, June 28th, 29th and 31st head to Real Artways website.
3: All right. What is that? What is the what is the thing?
0: Tinmo Astro it's an uh performance art installation oh. at Real Artways. All right.
3: And uh, Jacques, what have you got for us? I want to
5: endorse um, supporting the Hartford Symphony Orchestra and their upcoming concerts. Um, after everything that they've been through, we need to remind ourselves why it's important to have the Hartford Symphony Orchestra here. And the best thing to do is to go hear them perform and be enchanted by them. So I certainly recommend wholeheartedly that you uh, go check out the Hartford Symphony.
3: Yeah, it's, so given the amount of interest that has been shown in the drama of their labor negotiations, you'd think that their audience would be really robust. I mean, every story we ever put on our website winds up you know, leading the website in hits, and there's been in, in an infinite number of uh, letters to the editor, to the current. You'd think that, the, that they would have the audience that would go with that. So I hope you're right, and
4: uh, I second that emotion as and well. The audible gasp you hear when people hear the phrase 36% pay cut should I- immediately lead to a sense of obligation at going to support the people who just took that. Massive cut.
3: Yeah, it's a great recommendation. Okay, I'm going to um, uh, recommend three um, non-new movies. Uh, and I'll tell you why. So, if you go to see Room and you love the performance by Brie Larson, who's been nominated for all kinds of things, and I think she won a Golden Globe already uh, for Best Actress, see Short Term 11. It's a small movie, an independent movie. I think it came out maybe two years ago. Uh, and it's about young people working in a, a short term mental health unit. Uh, and that's very, very inspiring or very, but it's actually uh, very funny in certain ways and very touching uh, in, in other ways. I, I would also recommend. Rand just made me think of this uh, when he was talking about sort of that uh, conservative or working class notion that smart people never do anything for you. Go see the movie Smart People and don't go see it. You have to like maybe order it on Amazon or something. Smart People with uh, Dennis Quaid and Sarah Sarah Jessica Parker and Thomas Hayden Church. And it sort of is about sort of smart people, the kind of smart people who don't connect very well emotionally with the the people around them. And then lastly, uh, right now we're developing here at Connecticut Public Broadcasting a TV series called Cobblestone Corridor. Uh, which is going to be kind of a noir uh, TV series set in a prep school uh, which makes me think of one of my favorite obscure movies. Brick with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Maybe the best Joseph Gordon-Levitt performance ever. That's Uh, a terrific movie. Isn't it a good movie? It is such a good movie. And everybody else in it stayed pretty obscure except for Lucas Haas who is actually in The Revenant so there's a tie-in. Lucas Haas is a drug kingpin except the whole thing is a noir movie that is set in a high school, in a sort of a California um, high school. And they they never stop being high school students and they never stop being kind of committed to the idea that they're in a noir movie. So all of those things. And then lastly I would like to uh, recommend or endorse um, the Spotlight Theaters down in Front Street. It's been great going down to Front Street lately for uh, movies and those are really beautifully run movie theaters with really good equipment uh, really terrific uh, sound and all that kind of stuff and then you can walk out the door and there's, you can eat, you know you can go to Bears, you can do all kinds of stuff Uh, you can go to Bears to get barbecue after you've seen the bear in The Revenant or you can go to one of the restaurants that's sprinkled around there and uh, I was down there over the weekend on Sunday night and Friend Street was hopping, and that was a good thing to see. So thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll be back on Monday.
2: Sarah Palin, you've endorsed Donald Trump. I bet Charles Darwin never understood this. Right. But I'm wondering why, because Trump represents severe moral decay. So then what are you hoping to get out of this? To accept your nomination for vice president of the United States. Really? After what happened last time? I mean, that
6: makes the Spanish Inquisition seem like Disneyland. Thank you for your time, Governor Palin.